This show is brought to you by Cloudberry Lab, the number one cross-platform cloud backup software. Visit www.cloudberrylab.com slash tubblog for a very special listener offer and get started with Cloudberry Managed Backup for MSPs. You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and Olin Sorensen of Heartland's Companies. My name's Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks to Arlen Sorensen, CEO and founder of Heartland's Companies and Heartland's Technology Group in Iowa. They discuss how Arlen went from running a farm in rural Iowa to working in the IT sector for the last 30 years, mergers and acquisitions, and the HTG Peer Mentor Group for IT Businesses. This episode was recorded between Richard and Arlen in London at an HTG event. And now, without further ado, here's Richard Tubb talking with Arlen Sorensen. Hi, everyone. Richard Tubb, and I'm joined today by Arlen Sorensen, the CEO and founder of Heartland's Companies in Iowa. Now, I've known Arlen for about 10 years. Um, Arlen's been involved in the IT sector for over 30 years, uh, from forming Sorensen Computer Connections way back in 1985 through to becoming the CEO of Heartland's Technology Solutions in 2003. Um, And during that period, he's overseen no less than 10 successful mergers and acquisitions. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So as I alluded to, I've come to know Arlen many years ago. He's also the founder of Heartland's Technology Group, um, or HTG. Uh, HTG is a peer mentoring group for IT companies, and there's over 500 member companies worldwide. On a personal level, Arlen's been a great friend and a mentor to me during my own journey in the IT industry, and I know I'm not alone in considering him a real source of inspiration within the IT industry. Arlen, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Richard. It's a joy to uh, actually be over here in the UK and be able to do this face-to-face with you. Absolutely. It's a beautiful sunny day in London. You've had some time uh, to to go around and see some of the sights of London? We have. We've been in London uh, for a day, but we were in Brighton for 10 days and got to see that part of the country for a first time. And uh, it continues to be a marvelous place to come visit and experience a different part of the world. Cool. Well, we're really glad you're over here. If we can, I'd like to start by talking about your own journey. Um, so I mentioned uh, the backgrounds with Sorensen Computer Connections, but you've actually got a background in agriculture. You owned a farm, right? Absolutely. Still do. <laughs> still do. Still, still own do. the farm. So t- tell me more about that. Where, how did you go from farmer to computer company to becoming CEO of uh, HDS? So uh, I graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in farm operations, and uh, it was my intention all along to come back to the family farm, and that was going to be my career. And that's how things started back in 1977. Uh, in 1982, I bought an Apple II Plus uh, computer to do my farm accounting on. At least that was my excuse for buying it. <laughs> and uh, I actually just really got uh, excited about the computer. I fell in love with, with technology. And uh, for the next few years, I would go help other farmers pick out a machine. I'd help them get it set up. I'd teach them how to use the software. And uh, we would, you know, make a trip or two to Omaha, which was the closest place to get a computer at the time. And, and uh, every month, go do that. And uh, after a few years, it was uh, obvious to me that 
there was potential to have a, a little sideline business. So uh, in 1985, my brother and I decided to start a little technology company to serve agriculture, basically, at the time. And uh, we did that, and uh, it continued to grow, and there was more interest. And when the uh, you know when Windows 95 came out, that's when the business sort of exploded, and uh, we went from five people to 13 people in one year with that with that OS release, and the technology got simple enough for people to actually use it. So at that point, we moved into the business marketplace, and uh, from there, I guess the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, how big is HTS today? HTS today? Yeah. Well, it's smaller than it was when they acquired it. Okay. Um, I think they're they're uh, around 40-some people today. And uh, at the time I sold it, we had grown it to a little over 100 folks. And so, um, you know, the, the new buyers have had a little bit different perspective on markets and things that we were in. Um, I was I was a big believer in serving the small rural markets, and it wasn't always a, a profitable venture, shall we say, to be in some of those marketplaces. So uh, they've they've you know changed things a little bit, but uh, it's been fun to to build that company and to watch those people, and a number of those folks have come back to work for me now at HTG. So uh, that that makes me feel good about the kind of folks that we selected and had part of the organization. So I want to ask you a specific question. So I mentioned, you know, HTS, your background in Iowa, um, farmlands of America. Um, I speak to plenty of MSPs and they say things like, oh, Richard, you know, we, we find it really difficult to do business around here because people just don't get computers and they don't do it. And I can see a smile on your face. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you, you found, you know, um, IT in the farmlands of America, basically. Well, you know... The thing I always tell people is that uh, when I get up in the morning, the only people within a, a few miles of, of my farm, which is where the business has always been, are all relatives of mine, my brother being the closest, and, and he never would pay his bills. So there's no shortage of opportunity to grow a business. Most people drive by more people on the way to their office than I would see in a 40-mile radius of, of my office. So it's not about having enough opportunity. It's about what we do with that opportunity. And, uh, you know, what we learned was the customer service was really the number one thing. And part of that was, in our case, early on, teaching people how to actually use the technology to make a business impact. And that's still what it is today. People don't buy technology just to invest in the latest stuff. They buy it to do a job and to, to make an impact. And so, you know, in the MSP world, these VCIO conversations have to move from explaining what we've done to take care of somebody's network to what the impact can and will be if they use the technology right. And, and that's where I see MSPs today needing to make a transition to really providing business impact recommendations and ideas for the investment and the dollars that customers are spending on technology. Makes sense, yeah. Now, I've already mentioned the fact that HTS um, went through no less than, or you ever saw no less than 10 mergers and acquisitions uh, during that time. Many IT business owners I speak to um, find M&As um, a really attractive idea. It seems like a fantastic idea in theory. Um, but few of them I see working out in reality um, to be successful. You've overseen 10 of them. 
What's the secret to a successful merger or acquisition? Well, so you mentioned earlier that we did 10 successful M&As, and I would tell you that about four of them were what I would consider successful, three of them were definitely not successful, and the other three were okay. Uh, so even with the experience we had, the last one we did was probably one of the least successful ones we had. Uh, so. It is, it is certainly not a science to do M&A. Um, I do believe it's a very valid uh, tool to help grow. Uh, organic growth is hard work and it's getting to be harder work all the time. So using M&A as a, as a means to grow your organization is helpful, but people have to understand up front that it's not as easy as the math on paper would make it seem. One plus one does not equal three, certainly not in the first couple of years. And that's what people all think is going to happen is, well, we'll do this acquisition, we're going to bring all this revenue in, and we're going to cross-sell, and all of a sudden we have magic and we're getting three times what, what we uh, expected. And, and that just isn't reality. So you have to go into it with, with you know, a real honest vision of the future. And, and uh, the, the big challenges are, are not really around customers, typically, if you've done your work ahead of time and know that the the price deltas are not too great. It's around culture and it's around people and their willingness to change. Nobody likes to change and employees really don't like to change. And so um, that's the real battleground and the real challenge. And, and most people way underestimate uh, how difficult that's going to be. No matter how close you think your cultures are to one another, when you bring them together, it's never quite that way. And uh, so it, it, it's a difficult process. We got pretty good at doing the due diligence, but even then, every M&A we did, there was some aspect that we hadn't expected and accounted for. And uh, so you have to keep all that in perspective as you do it. And, and uh, I'm still a big believer that it's a great tool if it's done for the right reasons, number one. Things like expanding the, the geography you're going to serve, adding vertical expertise, getting specific kinds of, of talent onto your team. I mean, there's a series of reasons why I think M&A is a great uh, tool to use, but it's not as simple as just adding together the, the P&Ls and that's what you're going to get, uh, at least in the short term. Uh, I, I see very few where one plus one even equals two in the first year or two. So you have to be prepared for that, and you got to have a balance sheet that will support that. Yeah, good advice. So somebody who's been been through it on a smaller scale myself, totally uh, appreciate what you say about the culture as well. That's uh, always the biggest challenge. So let's change your tack a little bit, if we can, and talk about HTG, um, Heartlands Technology, the peer groups. I consider it the Premier League uh, peer group of uh, IT companies worldwide. Um, was a founder member of HTG 11 here in the UK, had incredible value from it for my own um, MSP business and myself uh, personally and professionally as well. For anybody unfamiliar with HTG, how would you describe it to people? HTG today is really a, uh, it's a framework where we provide the opportunity for, for folks that are, are motivated to want to grow and improve and change their business and their life uh, to get together on a very disciplined and regular basis and follow a set of, of uh, tools and, and uh, principles that we have to help one another grow their, their businesses and, and improve their lives. Um, 
you know, there's nothing magic about what HTG does. Um, we select partners from uh, all kinds of markets and put them together in groups of 10 to 12 companies, non-competing. That's a critical component of what we do so that there can be honesty in the room. And uh, we then have facilitators that will facilitate those groups every 90 days and in the groups, set goals, we benchmark financials, we have a series of plans that we, we uh, ask people to fill out, and uh, we just have two days a quarter of very honest conversations about the challenges that people are facing in business and at home. And uh, a lot of times it's the at-home things that are a bigger problem uh, in some cases than some of the challenges in the business. So we, we holistically try to address all those things. We, we provide the, the environment of trust and, and safety. Business owners live in a pretty uh, isolated world a lot of times, and uh, they can't talk to their team about what's going on. They can't really talk to their customers about what's going on. So this provides them a safe environment they can come and they can, they can share what's really happening and they can get advice from people that are sitting in the same exact seat as they are and get some perspective. That's probably the biggest need we all have as, as owners of small businesses is just we can get tunnel vision about what we think we see without necessarily having the perspective of what others see in the industry. So it's a powerful tool and we see a significant impact in people's lives and in their businesses, both financially and personally. I see a lot of IT companies who um, are a closed book, they typically don't share with others and they think, you know, the whole thing's a competition. I can understand where that uh, mindset comes from. Where did the idea for HTG come from and, and why, uh, where did this mindset that you personally have got of, you know, being open and honest and sharing successes and failures, where did that come from? Well, you know, sort of like my computer uh, technology business, which just sort of happened, HTG just sort of happened too. I talk a lot about planning, but I can't tell you that I'm the greatest example of uh, how that really works in starting up businesses. But back in uh, 2000, uh, we were coming through supposedly the greatest opportunity that had ever hit the technology industry with Y2K. I bought into that in 99. I hired a bunch of people. I created a huge staff assuming that we were going to have all kinds of work in 2000 and by April uh, I had about 10 people more than I had worked for and uh, we would have management team meetings and talk about the opportunities that no one could find and and uh, one of my teammates actually suggested maybe we should just call some other dealers in Iowa and see if if I was like missed this whole Y2K thing and uh, it, it was kind of a crazy idea at the time, but we did it. And uh, three other dealers came and spent a day with us. And we found out they had the same problems we did, which was really helpful because we thought we were doing something wrong or we were missing, missing opportunity. And when in fact, nobody had anything going on. So um, that was the start of HTG. It was really our own need for information and understanding. And, and we found that we didn't just learn about Y2K, we got to talk about all kinds of things that day, and it was valuable and useful, so the group decided to continue to meet, and uh, that's what we did. And HTG was never created to be any more than a group that would serve our needs as, as a small company in, in rural Iowa, because we really were isolated from a lot of people in the world. But um, 
you know, the first five years, that's what we had. We had one group. We had 12 companies uh, by then. And I would go to, to different shows like SMB Nation and things like that. And people would come up and say, okay, I've heard about this group. I want in this group. What do I have to do? And I would continually say, we're full. I, we can't take any more people. Because I had no the light bulb hadn't gone off in my head that there was potential here to potentially do something bigger. So 2006 was when I started to take a waiting list. And uh, immediately I had a dozen more companies and then a dozen more. And then in 2007, we decided to turn it into a business. And uh, we went from three groups to 10 groups. And it's just that was the beginning of... Uh, where we are today. Yeah, and I think I recall being in, in a room in either 2006 or 2007 um, with, uh, when I talk about the Premier League of uh, IT, all the heavy hitters, all the people I'd read blogs and seen everything else from, and, and you know that was one of the first HTG meetings that I went along to. You opened the HTG 11 group in the UK afterwards. You've now got two groups in the UK and over 500 members worldwide. Um, what sort of groups, what sort of IT companies join HTG? Well, today we have a, a vast program, actually, with, with various uh, opportunities. So our traditional face-to-face uh, -face groups are, are uh, primarily companies with 10 employees uh, or more, and uh, they make two days a quarter face-to-face. Um, we have an online version today that serves smaller companies. So uh, anybody, one employee or, or larger, can, can apply to be part of the face-to-face -face group. We still put those companies in small groups. They're still facilitated. It's 90 minutes a month that they meet. Um, and we, they do the same types of things, obviously, in a much shorter time frame. But they don't have the travel expense and, and uh, time out of the office. Um, we just rolled out this year uh, a new program, which is somewhat of a mix uh, between content delivery and uh, roundtable discussion. So newer companies have been telling us we aren't going to come to HTG so much for the networking, which was really the draw early on is people were looking for a community they could be part of. We want some community, but we really want somebody to give us the roadmap for success. We want somebody to just provide us the content that we can go home and do and come back and get some more in 90 days. So we've started that program um, and uh, got our first group going there. Um, and so it's about half content, half discussion. The, the biggest thing that's exploded recently has been our role-based groups. So we have uh, a dozen service exec peer groups today targeting those that service professionals within the company. So most of our groups have always targeted the principles of an organization. Now we're moving down a layer and we've got uh, a dozen or so of these service exec groups worldwide. We started our first sales exec group last quarter. And so we're gonna continue to serve that, that second layer of leadership so that companies can scale and grow. And so uh, we have a lot of different things going on. We've got over 70 groups meeting across all these programs now and uh, over 500 companies. And uh, there's a lot more uh, to come. You know, we, we certainly try, are gonna try to get to four groups in the UK in the next 12 months. Uh, we wanna grow worldwide in Australia as well. And, and the US thing will continue to grow.
And as I said, I got great value out of being a HTG member myself. So anybody listening to this who um, is considering a peer group, um, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. So we'll talk a little bit later on about what that specifically looks for, uh, looks like for them. But I want to talk about something specifically now. You've already touched upon it a couple of times. It's something I'm very passionate about, and that passion was first ignited uh, by you specifically, Arlene, and HTG. And that's planning, um, specifically legacy and life planning. Um, tell us more about why planning is something you teach to members of HTG. Well, the the reality is that as we watch companies um, across the industry, and, and we benchmark these companies quarterly, so we see their financials, we can see those that are succeeding versus those that are struggling. And, and one of the differentiators is definitely that the companies that succeed know where they're going and they have a strategy for how they're going to get there. And uh, those that somewhat get stuck typically don't have a very defined plan and they haven't taken the time and invested the energy to really lay that out. So um, that's one of the definite drivers. More, more importantly, though, um, you know, we only get one chance to go through life. And, and so if we don't make the most of it, we're going to get to the end of it and, and wish have a lot of regrets, uh, wish we had done things differently. And so as we think about uh, and teach our, our members, legacy is really the foundation. And, and really what legacy is all about is what are we trying to accomplish as we go through life and as we run our business? What's it look like at the end? so that we can start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey talks about, and then we can work our way backward to figure out what we need to do each year to achieve those goals. We've put a really big focus in the last 12 months on the financial side of legacy because um, a lot of people are have been in this industry for a long time, and they're at a point where they're starting to exit the business or at least start preparing for it, and one of the one of the really frustrating calls I get come from folks that are at the point of wanting to sell their business and uh, not having the value created that they need to provide the lifestyle they want to live for the rest of their life. They made the wrong assumption that hard work would somehow equal value. And I can tell you, people don't buy hard work; they buy real value, which means profitable companies. And uh, it's all about the profitability that you're able to consistently deliver in an organization. That's what somebody will pay for. And so part of legacy is the financial component. We got to know what we're trying, what we need to accomplish from a personal wealth perspective to live the lifestyle we want after we no longer get a paycheck. For most small businesses, that money is going to come from their business. So we have to lay out a plan for how we create business value that will feed into our personal wealth. And so that's a component of legacy that's really important. There's all kinds of other things. In fact, this quarter at our HTG meetings across the, the globe, we spent a couple of uh, hours in our meetings talking about what how broad legacy really is because there's there's legal components to it. You know, there there is uh, all kinds of insurance things that are related to it. There's partnership things related to it. It's just a really broad topic, but it's the foundation that everything else builds on. And the way I like to, to try to get people to think about it is that, you know, you, you define legacy from, a, from a, a long-term perspective. And then as you think about how you're going to live, 
you write your life plan for that year, which is really a one-year a one slice of your personal legacy plan, your leadership plan or how you're going to lead people, how you're going to grow as a leader, how you're going to grow your people as a leader, and your business plan, what you're trying to accomplish in your business, those are one-year slices of your business legacy plan. And if we put all those things together over time and do them well, we should hit our legacy plans both personally and as a business. And that's the way we have to think about it is what are the slices we need to make every year to achieve the, the long-term goals that we've got set? And uh, so it's all it all ties together. It's all built on the, the same platform. And uh, we're really working hard to, to train people how to look at that from a, a strategic perspective, identify the things they've got to do today to help move them toward that end goal and not wait too long to get started. You can't, you can't fix business value in the last year you run your company. It takes a long period of time to do that. You can't make a bunch of personal wealth by snapping your fingers all of a sudden. And working hard is not the answer. It's working smart. It's having a plan and it's executing that plan day to day, communicating with your team what you're trying to accomplish, letting them know how they fit into the picture. There's just a host of things you've got to do. But uh, it is really what businesses are designed for and, and are all about is, is achieving a set of objectives, both financially and from an impact perspective, uh, because that's that's the bigger thing, right? Uh, it doesn't do any good to to hit the financial objectives if you didn't make the kinds of impacts you want to make in the lives of the people that you touch along the journey or have the spiritual impact you want to have in terms of those folks as well. So um, it, it's a it's a big, big thing to think about. People get overwhelmed, but it's like eating an elephant. You just got to do it one bite at a time. You take the next step in the journey, and it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. But you can do it, and you can win in the end. What, in your experience, is the one thing that stops people getting started with this process? They allow they allow the the overwhelmingness of of the process to make them feel like they can't they can't figure it out. Um, and so, what we've done this year in particular is we've tried to break it down into very bite sized chunks for folks and and. Uh, we went through an exercise in our meeting rooms this quarter where we had a form for our personal legacy and another form for our business legacy, fill in the blank kind of boxes to help people think through the different areas and then a, a checklist of things they need to think about. And it, it just gives them the overview of the thing, but it's in small chunks. And we tell them, just take the next one, right? You don't have to do them all today. Just start with the most important ones. For a lot of people, that's some of the legal things that they need to put in place. As you've experienced with a couple of your episodes in the last year, you oh, yeah. want to have you want to have the legal things all tidied up, right? Because you never know what's going to happen. And uh, some of the most unfortunate situations I've been involved in have been related to people that weren't ready for those kind of things. But um, you know, if you if you break it down, it's it's not that overwhelming. Um, one of the things that I'm on a real campaign about is people getting their wills done, which is a small, another small piece of the legacy planning. And, and the barrier that a lot of people give me really is two. Well, they don't want to think about it, number one, because it, it is kind of a morbid thing to, to realize. But, you know, 
death and taxes used to be the two things that people say were for sure. Well, I know death's for sure. It's kind of like a 100% batting average, right? So uh, it is going to happen. And so to, to think that's not reality is, is just a mistake. The other one is that parent, you know, husband and wife can't necessarily agree on where their kids should go if something happened to both of them. And while I can understand the sensitivity of that discussion and, you know, my family's better than your family and all this kind of nonsense, the reality is failing to make a decision and not doing a will because you can't agree on something is putting your kids at risk. And you just need to agree to disagree, put something down. You can always change a will, right? That's one of the things people think about legacy is, well, if I write this down, somehow this is going to be the way it's going to be forever, it's stuff, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not. You're not. You're not putting it on a tombstone today. All you're doing today is giving your best estimate of where you're at and where you're going and how you want it to be today. If it's different tomorrow, you change it. And that's, that's, the, that's the reality of legacy. This is a journey. And so you got to get started. You got to take the next step and then realize it's an ongoing process over time. Let me ask a personal question, if I may. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a guy that uh, was a difference in people's lives. My personal uh, life mission is to be a difference. And I've developed that mindset over a period of time. Um, originally, I had said, I want to make a difference. And as I, as I thought about that, you know, you can make a difference in a lot of different ways. And you don't necessarily have to be there personally to make that happen. You can do it by you know, spending money. You can do it by sending other people on your behalf. There's lots of ways you can make a difference in the world. But I really got convicted that I'm on this planet to be a difference. And so uh, when I wake up in the morning, that's what I think. What, what am I going to do based on the people I'm going to interact with today to be a difference? And uh, I want to, you know, at the end of every day, be able to look back and say, I was a difference for at least one person that I interacted with that day. Um, so that's, if I, if I can write my tombstone, that's what I wanted to say. He made a difference. I love it. You've already made a difference. I can tell you that. So, um, to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, and that's that, um, business leaders, MSP owners, IT business owners, um, quite often one of the things getting in the way of their success is, um, challenges at home. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, some of the experiences that you've had working with business owners who perhaps the, the planning process has opened their eyes to things aren't as, as good as they should be in all aspects of their life? Perhaps you could elaborate on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're one of the things that separates HTG from, from other peer groups in the industry is, is our willingness to, to tackle some of the more challenging areas of, of life, you know, around family and relationships and that people are messy. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, and, and if we don't address that, uh, we run the risk of helping people succeed in business and fail in life. And, and to me, when I look at that, it's failure. So we've, we've taken the stance from the beginning that we're going to focus on helping people succeed all the way around we want a holistic success in people's lives. And that means we have to be honest about what's going on at home and in relationships, even in the workplace. Um, so we, we tackle this in a few ways. One of the things we do is we have scorecards that we ask people to fill out every quarter. Um, and right now we're using four different scorecards. We have a, we have a scorecard 
um, that we ask members to fill out about themselves and their own personal uh, situation. Because again, failing to address the reality of how an individual feels or, or their emotional state is, is potentially a real issue. Um, so we look at that individual's score of themselves and we have 10 questions we ask them to, to fill out about that. We have one for spouse and family to fill out every quarter. Um, so it's got, I think, 15 questions that talk about the relationship at home, how, how uh, things are going within the, the marriage, um, those kind of things. And it gives us a little bit of insight into the spouse's perspective on, on how things are. And, and that, that provides a lot of conversation, actually. Um, we have a third one related to leadership where we ask uh, people, the principal, to have their managers score them. How are they doing as a leader? And then our fourth one is about legacy and how they're doing in terms of hitting the key components of a legacy plan. And so those four scorecards are part of what we call our member performance dashboard that we use every quarter in our meetings. And, and uh, those, those things show up there and we're able to see trends over the quarter. So if it's going up or going down, we can, we can watch that. It's not the score that's the big deal. It's the conversations around the score, right? So the, the idea is that as, as you get your spouse score from, from your spouse, if there are low numbers, you need to have a conversation about how you can improve. What is it that you're not doing that, that's expected or vice versa? Same thing with the people you manage. Uh, the group then can interact and, and ask questions about I see your, your spouse scores down 10 points this quarter. What happened? What's different? Where did you get marked down? Is that something that you can change? Is it something that's that's uh, going to be a trend? Um, it's, it's amazing how predictive those things can be uh, from a relational perspective. So people don't like to admit it, but it's true. Uh, we, when I see spouse scores start to decline, I always am fearful that, that there's some issues coming up. Same thing if manager scores go down. There's typically something brewing at the office that needs to be dealt with. So, so they're they're helpful to us. Um, the life plan. Um, one of the things that we try to to impress is that you don't write a life plan by yourself. It's something you sit down with your your family and you write together. Um, you don't write a business plan by yourself. It's something you sit down with the key people on your team to write together. All these, all these things are, are broader than us. And so the planning framework, we, we try to recommend that, that you broaden that circle and you involve all the stakeholders in each of those different plans so that they can provide input into it. And when you're done, uh, everybody's on the same page and you're all rowing the same way. That was one of the kind of big learnings as we put this focus on legacy. We found out a lot of people hadn't talked to their spouses about their legacy, which they're part of the legacy, right? So there should be a conversation there. But we also found in the business legacy that a lot of times partners, co-directors in an organization hadn't sat down and talked about it together. And uh, then you uncover some of the challenges of two directors that are kind of not in sync and going different ways and have got different ideas of what success looks like. And, and as a smaller organization, that may not bubble up so fast, but as companies get to the point of growing and making an investment with, with hard-earned dollars, if you have directors that are on different pages, 
that quickly becomes a real challenge and staff doesn't know which way to go and they'll they'll pick sides and pretty soon you got to divide that that can create some real real challenges you and i were having a cup of tea and a catch-up before we started recording today and as you've already mentioned i've had a interesting um 12 months to, to put it mildly um i've had plans in place for for quite some time as, as i alluded to you know learn that off yourself and off htg and so for anybody listening to this who's thinking well i don't need to worry about that it's never going to happen to me it can be put off for another day i can tell you it does happen and you do need these things in place and um, going through a difficult time as i did in the last 12 months and with a lot of changes not just Bad right. things as well. Right, I've right. got married. Yeah. I've moved 250 miles north. I've got a couple of um, small people in my life as uh, as well as a wife now. Um, this uh, planning gives you um, the reassurance that you've got something. You're going in the right direction. And, and you and I talked about it actually. You know, I I've not looked at my life plan a lot in the last 12 months for obvious reasons. Lots right. of stuff's been right. going on. Yet the things that I wrote down on my bucket list, on my plans, and my goals. Um, to my surprise, I reviewed it the other day and I've actually still um, made significant progress or ticked a, a number of those things off the list. And I think it was just the um, the act of writing it down has um, put it there subconsciously and I've been subconsciously moving towards those things. So. It, it really does make a big difference to take the time to write it down. And, and when we communicate about it, that's just another layer of, of likelihood we're going to achieve it. You know, it, it's really all about living with intention. All of us get the same 168 hours every week. There's no difference in the amount of time we have. The only difference is what we choose to do with it. And we can choose to use that time intentionally and on the things that matter to us, or it will just piddle away and we'll look back at the end of the week and wonder what happened to it. And, you know, Unfortunately, some people get to the end of their career and look back 40 years and wonder what happened to that. And uh, we don't get to go do it over. Just because we didn't necessarily do it right the first time doesn't mean there's a second chance. And so um, it's important that we slow down a little bit, we have the right conversations, and we write the stuff down. That's a critical part of this. A lot of people will say, oh, I have a plan in my head. Well, I would tell you if it's not written down, you don't really have a plan. You've got some ideas floating around up there and it might change tomorrow. You need to write it down. That doesn't mean you can't change it just because you wrote it down, right? Plans plans aren't dead with, with, with the page they're written on. They're there. They're the best guess of what you have today. But if you need to change it tomorrow because life circumstances change, then you change it. But you still have a direction you're shooting for and, and a, a plan to guide things. You're here traveling in the UK with your lovely wife, Nancy. What would Nancy say about HTG? I don't know. That's a good question. We should ask her what she would so? say about HTG. Nancy's in the room here with us and she's shaking her head. Nancy, would you? What, what does HTG mean to you? Wow. Talk about not being prepared. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've learned so much through HTG. Uh, not just about business, but about life. And you were talking about life plans and using your time. And um, HDG has been just a real all-around good um, <laughs> thing to belong to for people, helping them not just in their businesses but in their lives and I'm I've been real happy to be part of watching it grow 
and it, it's not easy being the other half of <laughs> um, um, an IT business owner. I think that's probably fair to say, isn't it? That's true. What impact have you seen that HTG and peer groups have made, not just on Arlen and your relationship, but on um, the other business owners' relationships that you've seen within HTG? How has it been a, a positive force? Them? Well, you know, these guys are maturing age-wise, but I really watched a lot of them mature business-wise and just life-wise, and, and that's been a lot of fun. They've... Uh, started to look at things from a different viewpoint and and started to care more about their employees. And so uh, I've kind of forgotten the question now, but that's, that's something I've enjoyed is watching the members grow and change and, and turn around and help the next guy too. And it's had just overall had a positive impact. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, I know we've put you on the spot there, but uh, really appreciate you uh, taking time to answer that. And oh, we'll, you're welcome. I'll throw the spotlight back on Arlen again now and let you get back to your reading. Thank you. <laughs> there we go, we just put Nancy on the spot. But okay, Arlen, let's um, let's get back to the conversation here now that we've made your wife um, All right. uh, blush a little bit. But, I'm sure uh, <laughs> I'll pay for that all later. Um, let me throw a real simple question with perhaps a more complicated answer. What does success mean to you? Well, to me personally, you know, it, it all aligns with, with the legacy planning, right? Um, so we've, we've set plans in place around, you know, different domains of our life, um, some of which are around family. And, and we've got some specific things around grandkids we want to do, for example, where, you know, we've made it a target to put aside money for them to be able to go through college and not come out of college with a big amount of student debt. In the U.S., anyway, that's a big problem. Kids go off to college, they graduate, and it takes them the next 10 to 15 years to try to get out of debt. Uh, so we have a specific thing in our legacy plan of creating uh, an education fund for each of the grandkids so they'll be able to go to school and hopefully not incur a whole lot of debt. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's identifying... I think that's one of the misconceptions of a legacy plan. Well, it's this giant overarching thing that that you're never gonna be able to do anyway, so why even take the time to write it down? Well, there's there's components that might feel like that, but, but a lot of it is just specific things that we can be intentional about, right? And so, um, you know, we also wanna spend as much time with these kids as we can. So every Sunday morning, for example, when we're home, we have one of them over for breakfast and they make breakfast with us. It's a little thing, but it's a big thing, yeah. right? They fight over who gets to come to breakfast this week. So we have a schedule. And, and you know, it's things like that that, you know, might accidentally happen, but because they're part of the legacy plan, it, it's intentionally getting done. And, and that's, I think, the key is that, to me, success is identifying those things that we want to make sure we do and then intentionally living those things out every every day. You know, Collins, Jim Collins says that, you know, the, the differentiator between companies that are truly successful and those that are not is is really fanatical discipline in executing the things that are important. And, um, you know, there, there are some things in, in my life that I've taken that attitude toward. I, I write a daily blog and every morning, six days a week, I get up and I write that thing. And I can tell you every morning I don't feel like getting up and writing that thing. But because it's part of my legacy and the commitment I've made, um, I haven't missed a day since 2008. 
And, you know, people look at me like I'm from outer space uh, when, I t- when I say that. But it's not, the, it's not the words that matter. It's the discipline that matters. The fact that I start my day by getting up and thinking about the things that are important, putting that first on, on my calendar that day allows me to start every day with some purpose. And that's really what I think success is all about is when we execute our purpose, our mission, vision, and values on a daily basis to achieve those things that are part of the legacy we want to leave behind. Um, It's not about money. It's not about stuff. It's about people and impacting people in a a way that's going to make a difference. It's interesting. On a a practical level, um, you talk about blogging every day, which essentially is a type of journal. Yep. the whole idea of journaling seems to be a common thread that runs through with um, lots of people I speak to who I consider um, successful. So it's interesting when you talk about your daily blogging activity. And it is the discipline itself, isn't it? So, it is. It's yeah. the discipline. There, there's sometimes I look back at things I wrote and I thought, where was my head that day? But, but you know, blogging is just one of the tools that you can use to help create discipline in your life. And, and uh I love the history that it leaves, the perspective that it can provide when you look back and and all those things. You know, uh, Collins talks about creating a smack recipe or a 20-mile march, and and we need to identify those things we want to make part of our daily routine, part of the the habit we're going to build, because those are the things that are going to drive us towards success. It's, It's If we get up in the morning and we wonder what we're going to do, we're not likely to be as successful as if we wake up and have got a list of things that we know we need to do to get us where we want to go. Is there anybody that springs to mind that you would consider highly successful? Oh well, there's a lot of there's a lot of folks uh, certainly around HTG that I would consider highly successful. But people that I that I look up to and, and read a lot from are folks like Michael Hyatt, who definitely is a is a blogger and and a believer in planning and those kind of things. Um, the folks at the Patterson Center, uh, Tom Patterson and and uh, Pete Richardson and and David Mitchell and and the folks that have done the strat op and life plan work. The, the tools we're using now to help folks go deeper around strategy and life planning. Um, you know, those guys have, have really poured themselves into something that, that makes a difference. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people in the world that I think are, are doing things that matter and are, and are successful as a result. And it's not about the money they might accumulate. Um, it's, it's about the impact they're able to have with purpose. Now, I know you're a keen reader. Um, is there any books that you've read in, say, the past 12, 18 months that have made a really big impression on you? Well, um, there's a lot of books that uh, that have made an impression. I'm rereading more, probably, than I am starting new ones. Um, you know, if, if I was going to pick my three favorite authors that I that I read the most, it's, it's uh, Simon Sinek, I reread Start With Why, because I, I believe that is really a key... Uh, learning for us both personally and in our companies. We need clarity around our purpose or our mission uh, because that's foundational to our ability to have success. Uh, Jim Collins is one of my favorite authors and uh, Great by Choice is the book of his that I really, really enjoy. And then Pat Lencioni, uh, The Advantage. Um, you know, his concept of a playbook and and uh, all those things are are really important. So. He, he pounds continually on the idea of clarity and communicating that 
you know, in his, his four quadrant uh, advantage circle, you know, it's clarity, repeat clarity. I mean, it's just, you, we have to communicate and most of us are not very good at that in the workplace, at home, uh, anywhere. We just assume people are gonna figure it out because somehow magically we crossed paths and it moved to them. It just doesn't happen. We, we have to communicate clearly and we gotta, we gotta do it in different ways because people receive it in different ways. Is there any book that you find yourself continually gifting to other people? The Go-Giver is definitely the book that we gift to everybody that gets involved with HTG. Uh, Bob Berg and John David Mann wrote a book uh, about five principles of, of how to live in a way that will, can impact people significantly. So that definitely is, is one of the books. We also give everybody a copy of a book called Make a Difference, which is uh, by Dr. Larry Little. It's about personality profiling. Uh, he talks about lions and monkeys and camels and turtles, and uh, it gives us a common language we can use with, with the NHTG and with our staffs about how to actually understand people. Uh, so those are two key books. E-Myth is another book that, that we give to a lot of folks that talks about you know, the, the accidental entrepreneurial journey that uh, all of us are on. And that's probably been the biggest area of communication that we've focused on with HTG is that we really see the entrepreneurial journey through kind of four different lenses right now. You know, we start out, we ignite a spark, we found a business, and uh, we run that business based on muscle and feel. Entrepreneurs just find a way to get it done. It may not be efficient, it may not be the best way, but they'll just fight their way through it and they'll make, they'll make it happen. And as, as they do that, they'll, they'll hire some more people that are a lot like them, and it works for a little while. As they mature, they finally f begin to figure out what good looks like, and they realize that they aren't necessarily doing good, so they want to make some changes in that, and they, they uh, may get involved with HTG to find out those kind of things. Um, but... That's where a lot of people get stuck. They realize they could do better, but they don't know what to do with that. And what, what happens is the next step is the step of moving from entrepreneurial-led, muscle and feel, and just power through to professionally managed. We have to move to a point where other people are gonna have responsibility. And for an entrepreneur, that's hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard to, to actually do the, the work of building those leaders and investing in people in a way that they can be successful. But that's where a lot of HTG folks are right now. They're stuck trying to move from having started something that's doing well, but it's kind of stalling out a little bit and they need to be able to hand it off to other people that can step up and take it to the next level. And that doesn't mean the founder is no longer important. It just means they can't do everything anymore. And so that's kind of the third phase in this thing. And, and we're doing a lot of things around leadership development and those kind of things. And then the fourth stage of that journey is, is really achieving legacy. And uh, that's what really is the, the end game, the ultimate, and what is critical for these leaders to be able to see. They need to know where they're gonna take this company and how they're going to do that. So that's kind of the entrepreneurial journey we see. Um, E-Myth kind of talks a lot about that first stage. We're working to really get people through the leadership stage so that they can truly be successful and hit their legacy. 
Do you mind if I ask you about your faith? No. Cool. Um, you're a man of deep faith. Um, how do you find your faith influences your attitude towards business? Well, it, it influences it a lot. Um, I will tell you that there was a period in my life where I bought into the the lie uh, that society gives us that faith and, and work have to be totally separated. And, um, you know, I, I had the attitude that when I went to the office, which in my case was walking through a door, uh, my commute's pretty short uh, since my office is on the end of my house. But literally, I would mentally check my faith at the door and uh, go do my, my day job and then assume I would pick it up on the way back. And what happened over time was I quit picking it up on the way back. And uh, it, it was it was a bad thing. I, it, it really created problems in my relationships and in the business and in every area. You can't separate your faith from who you are. And that's what I finally figured out about 10 years later uh, after some real heartbreak. Um, there, it's intertwined. It's part of us, and to to think we can separate it and have success is is, in my mind, just not accurate. So, um, what I've come to learn is that it, it it is what helps define my legacy. It's part of the success formula in my life, and I embrace it. I don't try to dominate with it or or force it on others, but I'm also not going to apologize for living it out in a in a transparent way. And it, it is a guiding part of of you know my core values and my purpose and my mission and vision. Um, so uh, I'm honest and open about that, and I'm willing to talk about that with anybody that that wants to talk because um, it it's just part of who I am, and it always will be. And and uh, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, it needs to continue to be there for sure. What's next for Arlen Sorensen and for HTG? Well, so HTG, uh, we've, we're making that transition from entrepreneurial founder-led to professionally managed, right? So the biggest change that's happened in the last two years uh, and why we have grown significantly, particularly in the last 18 months, is that I've gotten out of the way as the founder, right? Um, I, I led HTG by muscle and feel for a long time, but I've got a very talented team of people around me today that can take this to a whole different level than I would have ever been able to do it. And I realize that just stepping back and letting them run the company is the best thing possible. So I'm still going to facilitate and uh, do life plans for people and things where I can be a difference. But running HTG is not my highest and best use. Um, I do have some, uh, some other things that I'm hoping to do yet in my lifetime. Um, and, uh, you may see another organization come out of me in the next year or two, um, as I slow down a little bit on the HTG side, more focused on legacy. Um, I really believe that, that a lot of owners, uh, they're going to be exiting their day-to-day activities in their companies, but they still got a lot of life left and there's still a lot of impact they can have. And so I want to be part of the, the shift from success, which a lot of people have had, to significance and challenging people to think about, okay, you've, you've been successful in your company, you've been successful and raised your family, you've had a lot of success. How do we then take that and give it 
you know, pay it forward and be uh, significant in the people's lives that we're able to touch. And so um, I'm working on some things around that and, and uh, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll bring that to market and, and uh, challenge people to, to not retire, retire, but to just change uh, their day-to-day stuff and focus not on the success stuff, but on the significant stuff. Yeah, I think that's going to become incredibly important, especially as we've got a more aging population going forward. It's going to be really, really important. Entrepreneurs just can't sit still. And if they do, they'll die. So we got to find ways to stay relevant. And uh, there's no better way to do that than really focus on being significant. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Arlen. I'm conscious that you announced you've given up uh, an hour of your uh, uh, time in a very sunny, beautiful uh, London today. For anybody who wants to find out more about HTG or indeed reach out to you directly, how would they find you? So uh, HTGpeergroups.com is the uh, website where we have all of our information. That's where people can apply to become a member, get all kinds of info on on the programs and uh, those kind of things. Uh, or they can reach out to me directly, uh, A. Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N, at scci.com. And uh, glad to, to con- converse about any of these topics and uh, help people in any way we can. Cool. We'll make sure all those details are in the show notes for this podcast as well. Arlen, you're an inspiration to me. I consider you a great friend and mentor. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for everything you do for the industry as a whole. Thank you, Richard. It's been a joy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. Every review helps us reach new listeners and helps raise the bar for success in the IT industry. In our next episode, Richard speaks with Doug Hazelman to discuss cloud backup and data recovery. This show has been sponsored by CloudBerry Lab. CloudBerry Lab's managed backup service is built from the CloudBerry backup technology and designed to meet the needs of managed service providers and enterprise IT departments by providing reliable backup with centralized management and monitoring. This managed cloud backup service is integrated with Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud Platform, and almost every S3 compatible or OpenStack-based cloud storage service. With CloudBerry Managed Backup Solution, any MSP, VAR, or IT service company can rebrand and provide robust and reliable cloud backup service with remote management and monitoring. CloudBerry Managed Backup is truly cross-platform with support for Windows and Linux servers, as well as Windows, Mac, and Linux workstations. Backup to the cloud is simple with CloudBerry's broad range of support for multiple cloud storage providers, but also supports backup to local disk or NAS. You can backup data locally, to the cloud, or both for a truly 3 to one backup strategy. For Tubblog listeners, CloudBerry Lab is offering free rebranding for one year. That's a $129.99 value. Rebranding allows you to brand the backup solution as your own, meaning your customers will only see your brand, not CloudBerry Lab. To take advantage of this special offer, please visit www.cloudberrylab.com tubblock.